0: Hear me? Hey, Karen, it's Brian again.
1: Yeah, can you hear me? I gotta, I gotta talk on my iPad. My phone was uh, battery was dead.
0: That yeah, I can hear you. Um, so uh, if this actually works for people listening, <laughs> we're gonna try this recording service. Um, I had called Karen uh, this morning, and then I decided that our conversation was so good that um, I needed to record it and. Uh, Karen is one of those uh, mold avoiders who basically has sort of already succeeded at mold avoidance and moved on with her life. And uh, it's so easy for those of us who are in the thick of it to forget that there are people out there who have already sort of won the battle. And so I was very grateful that Karen offered to share her story with me. She was telling you a little bit about how uh, she lives in um, a metal house that is uninsulated, and how before 1970 most people lived in uninsulated houses. Um, and so, Karen, you started off by building a what you called a bath house that you got a certificate of occupancy for. And then, then, then what happened? What? Let's let's back up a little bit, back to to your the beginning of your story.
1: Yeah, that's what when I first moved out here, I I built a carport. And I had a little travel trailer, a scamp, and uh I stayed in that and uh then I built the bathhouse, you know, obviously, you know, and it's got it's a good size and like I said it's dry stack cement block, which I highly recommend to anybody. I would have liked to build my whole house like that, but I didn't have the money. Uh the it dry stack with every core filled. Every core of the cement block is, has a rebar in it and is filled, but you have to have a cement pump, unless you have a ladder and a bunch of buckets, to get to the top and fill them full of cement. And it, it's incredibly sturdy. You know, if there's a, ever a tornado, that's where I would go. And, so, um. Yeah,
0: um... Yeah, Karen was telling me that she built um, her original structured dry stack, which is basically where you take concrete blocks and you stack them up without, you know, mortaring them together, and then you pour uh, concrete um, right down the middle of those, those cavities. And she actually had attached some exterior foam insulation, uh, like foam board, and that's what helped her get past the um, inspections because they needed to be insulated, but then later the foam board got moldy and she just pulled them off. And it's funny because that's an idea that I've had too, that I would uh, put up some foam board in, in to to meet to pass an inspection and then if I didn't like it to later, later rip it off. But it's interesting, Karen, that you actually did that and you had mold grow behind the foam and then you pulled it down. Like this is... You, you, this, you guys, we're talking to somebody who has experience here. I mean, she's not she's done this and and tried it and 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 can tell the story. So it's pretty fascinating.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a doable thing. It was no big deal to uh, you know scrape off the uh, foam board because moisture got between it and the cement block. And the thing is, the dry stack way of building is so much thermal mass that you really don't need any insulation whatsoever. It's incredibly cool in the summer in there and warm in the winter. It's It makes a great bathhouse, you know. And uh, I, I would have, like I said, if I had had the money, I would have built my living space like that. But uh, I just built, uh, my contractor kind of specializes in metal, buildings, and it went up really fast, and uh, it was just, just metal on a cement slab.
0: And so after you, a- built, after you built the ba- what you call the bathhouse, then she moved on. It sounds like Karen has three buildings on her property, and this is something that I think is such a smart idea, to have three smaller separate spaces, so if something happens to one of them, or you need to fix it or change it. Um, They're separate spaces rather than one huge expensive building that you can't really fix. So after she built that uh, dry block house, then she built a metal house with a metal frame, metal siding on a concrete slab that currently has no insulation, and and you just stay warm with a wood-burning stove, which is such an interesting uh, concept. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: great. And also... What I, I really recommend that a lot that is doable you know on most if you have to have code compliance and everything is storage buildings like all my clothes and a lot of extraneous things that most people would have in a house, I have in a storage building, so if something happens to the house and I have to ozone it or something you know which Once in a while I'll cross contaminate something there, you know, no mold can grow in here. There's nothing for it to grow on. Um, But my clothes and everything are always safe in the storage building. I don't have to worry about, you know, that I, that I, all my clothes got contaminated.
0: Yeah. Um, We, my family rented a, we've been doing mold avoidance for two years and we rented a regular conventional house this summer um, it was brand new when we rented it, but it got really horribly moldy in the middle of the summer and because of the monsoon season. And I decided right then and there that I was done with conventional housing. I, it's just too traumatic. And so I am super intrigued and fascinated by what Karen has done because I, that is the direction that I want to go is uh, uninsulated metal buildings and then you can uh, put up insulation temporarily if you need to during the winter or the summer. My idea was even to put up some, you know, insulated boxes inside the metal home. I have five people, so it's going to take a little more space, but like, like a, a metal roof or a, a metal shell and then some insulated structures. And you even said that you did that, Karen, that in the summertime, you threw up some, it sounds like maybe some reflectix or something, some stuff. Yeah, the- yeah,
1: that. That bubble foil, yeah, I put that on the west side because the west side gets really hot. And I put some also on the uh, where, where the sun comes in on, on the uh, east side too. And uh, no, the, the south side, the south side. I put up some, you know, just tape it up really fast and then, you know, if I ever don't want it up there, they take it down in five minutes.
0: I mean, so we have Karen doing two insulation jobs by herself. One is taking the insulation off of her brick house, and one is putting up insulation on the roof in the summer. And I think this is such a key concept that people start to think of insulation as a modular component that can be added and removed as needed. Um, I know that's a weird concept because most houses are built with everything smashed together, but you were saying, Karen, that as soon as they introduced uh insulation in the, in the early 1970s into into construction that is when everybody started getting mold illness when uh yeah. walls were one unit of everything stuck together with the insulation
1: yeah yeah that's uh before the 70s there you know in the early 70s there was an oil crisis i, I remember it very well you could getting gas for your car was really hard and uh and Everybody had the – my mother had a beautiful house, not a drop of insulation in it, you know, not a drop. There was, you know, there was uh, shingles on the outside and uh, drywall on the inside, and in between there was nothing. And uh, after – when the oil crisis got really bad, that's when everybody started pushing the insulation. And uh, that's uh, my – oh, I was – just a side note on my – my contractor is very, very sympathetic to the mold issue, and it's because he had a a, a buddy of his uh, built his own house, and he wanted to wrap it really tight. So instead of using house wrap, wrap which kind of breathes, he uh, it doesn't breathe that much. I've seen mold growing right underneath of it. And uh, he wrapped his house in plastic. And... He got so much mold that his three small children all got got brain damage. So my contractor saw that happen, and he's very sympathetic. And usually, you know, don't, won't do anything when he's building something you know, for me without consulting. You know, the the the, the mistake was when they uh, put the uh, the water line through the cement slab and up into my kitchen area. Because that then that that broke one day in the in the freezing winter, and I had water, you know, and mold growing all under the
0: slab. Oh, okay, so let me let me back people up here. So what Karen told me earlier was that she was living in her metal house with a concrete slab and a metal frame and metal siding, and one day there was somebody who she hired to install a sink, and she wasn't home, and they put the pipe. Through the concrete slab, rather than what she would have preferred, which is to put it in a into a wall, where it's accessible and repairable, and you could watch it. So she has this this uh, this plumbing going up through her concrete slab, and one day some water leaks through there and gets under the concrete slab. And Karen, being an experienced mold avoider, immediately knows that there's a problem and there's mold growing under there, and you then I the, the story you told me with the EM1 that is yeah, so fascinating. I, you have to tell the story. So for people who don't know yeah. EM1 EM1 is like a probiotic product that people use to try to help the biome and control mold, but Karen tell us what happened. Oh, it was
1: a it was the worst thing I I think I ever did in my life. If I had just let everything dry out naturally, I might have been able to stay in that house. I I'll never know but I, I, I saw that mold was growing and I, I, could, I could feel the mold grow all with the water underneath the slab. And I got my EM1 sprayer and I spray, started to spray a little bit and it was like an atom bomb went off. The mold just went ballistic. It fought back by throwing out tons of toxin. The entire slab and everything in the house became totally contaminated with mycotoxins in about less than 30 seconds. Mm. It was really phenomenal. I've never experienced anything so fast and so horrible happening. I told my doctor about it, who I told you he also has a Ph.D. in mycology, and he's great to talk about, mold, you know, tell you, you tell most people things that happen with mold and they think you're crazy, you know. And he said, yes, it can happen
0: instantaneously, you
1: know. He so basically it, it, but
0: what, what, what you think happened was that the EM-1 sort of attacked the mold, which we know it did, it, it's supposed to do. And then all this mold that had been building up under your concrete slab from that pipe Uh, penetration all that mold just went ballistic and released all of its mycotoxins and that was such an extreme event that you could not even live in the house anymore and you had to build a second metal house but you were smart and these small metal houses were cheap enough and small enough and uncomplicated enough that it actually wasn't that much trouble um for you to build another metal house but before we talk about that other metal house Tell, tell everybody what you told me about how the mycotoxins are a gas and a liquid and how they penetrated the concrete.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, I use pretty much – I use ozone zone to decontaminate things all the time uh, if they can't be soaked. That's another story. But ozone is only a gas. Mycotoxins have the property of both a gas and a liquid. And this is why they can do something like soak through a mattress, stuffed furniture, or in this case, the, the cement slab. You know, it just soaked right through the slab. And um, that's why I say, you know, it, that's why I never spend money on a, on a mattress because if it gets mycotoxins in it, the ozone is no use. You know, the ozone won't go through the mattress but the mycotoxins will saturate it. Isn't this uh, interesting,
0: you guys, we're all out here trying to figure this stuff out, and here's Karen, you know, years ago, already figured all this stuff out. It's it's so amazing to me that, that we have these resources that we don't uh, really listen to. So then you said, i got to build another metal house. Right. I,
1: I, and uh, they uh, this one went up really fast with this new method, which he takes the steel... Uh, they're like square tubes, and uh, my neighbor uh, welded all the tubes together at his house and then brought the, the structure over on his flatbed and uh, put it on top of the slab, and then they just screwed the metal on top of it. <laughs> it was great. So, I mean, <laughs> great... this,
0: the, the thing I love about the metal home idea is it is so simple and affordable. I mean, people build people buy metal storage sheds for a couple thousand dollars. um, And I, I really think that your strategy here is a key to why you've succeeded. And that is that everything is modular. You can see inside the walls. You know, modern construction, we have these permanent walls that are impossible to take apart. And even if you were able to cut a little bit of sheetrock off, Uh, you're in between two studs and you can't see the other cavity and there's pipes in there and you can't decontaminate wood. And it's it's an absolute nightmare, a disaster to have mold illness and try to live in uh, conventional construction. And you've just eliminated all of that. And you've even said, I don't even want insulation because that makes it more complicated. You've basically simplified housing down to the very simplest possible terms. And it's worked for us.
1: Yeah, well, look, People lived without insulation for hundreds of thousands of years. <laughs> right. So I, I I can do it too.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and the trade off for us mold avoiders is is worth it. You know, someone might say, Oh, you're gonna spend another hundred dollars a month on your heating bill and maybe a normal family would say, Oh, I don't wanna spend another hundred dollars a month on my heating bill. I could be putting that toward Netflix but for us. Uh, we would spend an unlimited amount of money if we had it to live in a healthy home. So the trade-off of energy efficiency for people who have mold illness is an astronomically different kind of a trade-off than for your normal family. And I was even saying earlier that energy efficiency in our country wouldn't even be necessary or enforced if rich, greedy people weren't building 6,000-square-foot houses that you know would soak up endless amounts of energy to heat and cool. I mean, if people were living in modest, you know, eight hundred thousand or fourteen hundred square foot houses or whatever, we, energy efficiency wouldn't even be a word we even talk about. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it,
1: well.
0: Yeah, it's a product uh, of our modern capitalism, greed-driven society that we even need to talk about energy efficiency. And you're right; those dry block bricks. Uh, filled with concrete, probably are are enough insulation. You you wouldn't even need any more than that.
1: Yeah. Now that house is, uh, like I said, it's 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 cool in the summertime in there, and it's warm in the winter. You know, I have a little heater there that that it, it just in case it gets really low in the winter time. It it clicks on to protect my plumbing, but uh, it hardly ever clicks on. You know. Yeah. I have a dish heater in there. I turn on when I take a shower in the in the winter time, uh, but you know, besides that, it, it's a great way to build.
0: So yeah, you know, so, it, yeah, it, you know and for people who do have building codes, my idea has always been, and this is my latest plan, to have a house, you know, maybe a conventional house, whatever, on a on a piece of property that meets all the building codes that everyone thinks you live in. And then have a metal barn or metal workshop, whatever you want to call it, and that's where you live. And you can use the yeah. main house, like what Karen calls her bath house, for showers and cooking and utilities. Um, and then you can live in the back in the metal house. And the, the inspectors or whoever, you know, are just going to think that's a playhouse or a shop. Or whatever. Right. Um, so tell tell us more about your property. Like, give, give us an imaginary tour of your buildings, your bathrooms, your heater, your wood stove. Like, what what's it like on your property?
1: Uh, well, I have ten acres, but um, most of the buildings are pretty close together in the you know the bottom the bottom half. Uh, you know most people I have to walk to the bathroom. It takes me about forty five seconds. A lot of people would probably feel that's uh you know that's that's an annoyance but I, I'm used to it doesn't bother me uh and the and the other thing is uh, you know I have a storage building that has all my clothes in it, so I don't have to worry about you know uh my clothes getting contaminated if if something in the building goes bad. Uh, so I have everything pretty separate. Then I have another storage building that's mostly, you know, uh, tools and equipment for the property. Um, and uh, I have my old building, which I go over and open the doors and let it air out every day. And if it rains, I shut the doors. and uh, And then my new... My new great building. I really like this building, uh, and I have uh, it's an, another thing I really recommend is I, I have two rooms. They're both the same size. One is my living space where I sleep and have a little kitchen, and uh, and then I have a studio because uh, I work full time as a restorer. So and they're both about uh, 12 by 16. But on the south side, it's, it's passive solar, and I have all sliding glass doors on the south side, and there's no door between the studio and the living space, and that's very important because if something happens, say I bring something contaminated into my uh, studio and it, I have to ozone it, the, the living space is safe. Because to get to the living space, I have to go outside and walk a few feet and go in another sliding glass door. So there, um, I, I think having to go out of one room and into another is, uh, is a real uh, – you're going to save yourself a lot of grief. And I know yeah. another moldy that, that built a house that way also. She had like a, a little porch that ran down the side of the building – but she had the same thing. She had uh, three or four rooms, but she'd have to go out to the little porch and and walk down and go into the other room.
0: That's a fascinating thing you just said to me. Um, you said, if I bring something contaminated in and I have to ozone the room, that statement you just made is so packed with wisdom. I mean, the fact that you built your house And it can be decontaminated with ozone and allow you to push the reset button is phenomenal. I mean, most people in houses um, with porous materials and drywall and wood and carpet, you can't decontaminate a room once it's been horribly contaminated. But your house with bare metal and concrete floor, you literally could run an ozone machine in there for however long and you're, you're done. You solved the problem.
1: Yeah, I just did last week because uh, the cable man came. They they wanted to give me upgraded boxes. Well, both the cable man, the, the direct TV guy and his bot, new boxes he brought were reeking, I mean, after he left, they were reeking toxin out into the room. So I had to ozone both, both rooms uh, and uh, I, I just, you know, but what, what, wait, the dog and I slept in the bathhouse. That's another advantage to having different buildings. Well, I was ozoning the studio. I slept in the bathhouse, and we moved into the studio, and I ozoned the living space. And so you have, is, you know,
0: modular, yeah, I, yeah, modular small spaces that you can decontaminate while you're spending time in the other one.
1: Yeah, it worked out really well. I mean, you know, I, I, you know. What, when the DirecTV guy came, it's not like I could say to him, "Let me give you a hug and see if you're contaminated." <laughs> you know like, no you can't come in yeah. you know your boxes
0: The other advantage that, yeah you you got you, 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 contamination is going to happen, and you have to be able to prepare for it. The other advantage to your system is that I have kids, and my kids go do activities and gymnastics and things, and it would be very nice to have multiple spaces where They could come home, uh, take off their contaminated clothing, take a shower, which they need to do anyway because they're dirty kids. You know, they need to take a shower anyway, so it's not like I'm really making them do too much extra work. And then they can come into the the clean, quote-unquote, you know, clean living space um, in in a different building. Um, I seem to have healed enough that cross-contamination usually – isn't a huge factor for me, but that's also because we live right now in a very, very pristine city and area, and if we ever decided to move to a little bit more populated area with a little more fun and people and things which we want to do, we would have to have stricter and more formal decontamination procedures because there would be nastier toxins. Um, There's a doctor on our discussion group, a very well-respected doctor who just finished he has mold illness, and he just finished building himself a house that is a lot like what we're talking about. The difference is is that he did it as a real house that met building code, and doing it that way is so much more complicated and expensive and likely to fail because you have a wall sandwiched with insulation. Um, I have more or less given up on trying to meet building codes and trying to build a mold Free house at the same time. I don't think they're compatible ideas. I don't think you can build a mold-resistant home and meet building codes at the same time, unless maybe you are Will Smith and you have $200 million and you can hire the best building designers and materials engineers. You probably could do it. Um, or you could build a, a concrete wall that's 25 inches thick that meets the R value for building code but for us normal people who have limited resources i don't think it's going to happen i just don't think you can do it and so the idea of these metal buildings on concrete um make it's just it's the answer and i'm done moving my family into conventional construction having it feel good and just sitting there waiting around for a window leak or a roof leak or condensation or monsoon season so we can all be kicked out on our ass into the street with nowhere to go like I'm just done with that and you know I told my wife we're probably going to have to move back into our RV for the winter and I told my wife the next time we move into a home it's going to be alternative construction one way or another there's just no way you're getting me to to live back in a wood house again um so I I am just fascinated Karen is my new uh mentor (laughs) I'm fascinated by
1: And if you haven't, there's another thing that you have to be uh, real bare about also, and that is uh, I have experienced uh, a couple of times uh, one object being brought into the house, and then the next day you realize everything is contaminated. And so what I do is uh, no matter what I buy, or I I have a, I work on other people's things. I get packages mailed to me all the time. I open the packages outside, and uh, then the job gets put into a uh, a decontamination vat. And that's what I do with everything. If I go buy a T-shirt, I put the T-shirt in the decontamination vat. I don't bring anything into the house unless
0: I know it's safe. So you have, again, it's that modular concept of different spaces. There's a space for questionable items. There's a space for your storage and your clothing where it will be protected. There's a space for the bathhouse, you call it. That's where all the plumbing is. So you're you're never going to have to worry about a plumbing leak in your studio and your living space because you don't have plumbing in there. Um, I've even had the idea of because I have small kids, you know, we could have a living room type building and have a composting toilet or one of those little portable toilets in there. So if someone's really got to go pee, you know, my five-year-old's not going to want to walk even 45 seconds. They can use that little toilet, you know, or whatever. But if someone needs a shower or they need to cook, you know, or whatever, there's a separate space for that. And um, I I can't tell you guys that people listening to this how bad it was to have our rental house go moldy. You know, when you live in a moldy house and don't know it, which is what happened with this rental house, you become re-sensitized to mold. The whole circus starts over again. Um, my whole neighborhood now feels bad to me because it's, I'm sensitized to these spores that are floating around. And I mean, it, I thought, oh, we'll just rent a conventional house. And if it goes bad, oh, well, we'll just move on. I underestimated how big of a deal it is to have – to be in a moldy house again. And, you know, I way underestimated it. And I hate to say it, but the only way to prevent that is to not live in conventional housing because the very nature of conventional housing is that you have inaccessible spaces. You have windows that are going to leak. You have – everything is inaccessible and invisible, and it is a matter of time before that house gets moldy or something bad happened. It's not if, it's when. Um, And so, you know, um, I I just think it's, this is the only direction I'm interested in going into. Um, I I want a certainty, you know, And, and nothing can be totally certain because, you know, you could have a neighbor that builds a moldy house or something, but I noticed that I was getting so high on the power curve, you know, that's Eric's phrase, the power curve before this house got moldy, that even my moldy neighbor's houses were not bothering me as much. So I think the key to this whole game, to winning at mold avoidance, you know, you might need to go into a moldy store. You might need to take a moldy trip to to go to a doctor or visit your, your mom. You might need to do some moldy things. But the key to winning this whole game, I think, is not having a moldy house where you live. And if you can win that game, then you win the rest of the game. Yeah.
1: Like I said, it's real important not to I, – I think pre you have to get into the habit of decontaminating anything new before you bring it into the house. That will save you a mountain of headaches. Because what mm. are you going to do with your whole family when when somebody brings something in that, and it's toxin leaks all over the house? You know, mm. you – you really have to uh, get in the habit, and it, it's different. I can't imagine how difficult that would be with a family. But you are doomed to failure if you're going to just let people buy things and bring them into the house. Uh, they, they, you know, it, it's probably going to be one out of that. every ten items is going to be totally contaminated anyway. Everything's made in China. China has yeah. nothing but mold, moldy fa- factories. We Even when we had the old sick buildings group, we had a, a Chinese guy who spoke English who found our Yahoo group on, his, on the Internet and was telling us how moldy his factory was and it was making him
0: so sick. <laughs> so, you know, uh, uh, I, I, that, that's a good point. The only way we've been able to deal with that with my family is to have a contaminated building or room where the kids can do can play with their contaminated stuff and then decontaminate when they're done because it's different with kids you know these kids they got to have some some things you know um and i think it's a combination of doing that and healing healing to the point that um my tolerance is higher but we have had success with um having a, a contaminated area where the kids can play with their stuff and do their stuff, and um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I being a single person, I think yeah, I'd probably be a little bit better off, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I just you know, no matter what I buy, I I just if it can be soaked, I put it in a in a five gallon bucket with a decontamination solution, which is a caustic degreaser. Oh, yeah, you you mentioned that. For for people listening, there are two things that will decontaminate mycotoxins. Well, actually three. Uh, An hour at 500 degrees will decontaminate mycotoxins. Uh, Most things can't take that. Uh, The other thing that works is ozone. And it depends on how, you know, like if I buy a new coffee table or a TV cabinet. I take plastic bags, I tape them all together to encase the object, and then I stick an ozone generator in one end and a little escape hole is in the other side. And I let her rip overnight. So I don't bring anything in unless it's been decontaminated. The furniture especially, you know, can be real everything is made in China. And Chinese factories are moldy, and if it can be soaked, uh, mycotoxins are acidic, and so a strong caustic degreaser, which is the opposite, caustic is the opposite of acidic, will decontaminate them. So huh. I have a, I always have a five-gallon bucket of uh, like TPS, uh, or no, it's TSP. Trisodium phosphate, very good uh, to decontaminate mycotoxins. You can make a strong solution in that, a five-gallon bucket, and anything that will fit in there for, you know, six hours or something, depending, you know, will definitely be safe. Mm.
0: Uh, and is that you – know, uh, will that uh, TST stuff ruin things? Can you put anything in there to decontaminate it? Well – Trisodium phosphate is is
1: pretty strong. Now, for delicate things, uh, I use Voltex. That's a restorer's soap that they use in museums to clean museum-quality fabrics and things, and that will decontaminate just as well, but it's very gentle. costs $75 for a large bottle of it. It will last a long time. Mm. So... Uh, so uh, I recommend the Voltex for delicate items or painted items that might, you know, or um, you know, and the TSP, trisodium phosphate, for items that uh, really can't, you know, can't be damaged by uh, a, a strong uh, caustic solution degreaser. Uh, um, if it can't, be, if if it can't be, if it can't be uh, soaked, I ozone it always I don't bring anything in and risk risk ruining my space you know uh you know I let other people do that like the direct tv (laughs)
0: guy yeah in
1: here contaminates everything right (laughs) yeah
0: and I you know I should point out to people too that I have been doing mold avoidance for two years now which I know is not very long compared to some of these experts but Um, The only space that I have ever succeeded in really having as a consistent, reliable place to heal is the bed of my truck. And, you know, I have a little truck cap on my truck. I I used to have a fiberglass one, but it was off-gassing terribly. So now I have a metal truck bed and a metal uh, truck cap. And even though my truck has been through hell and been contaminated a million times, that metal space, I can very easily decontaminate it. Oftentimes, I can just hose it out. One time, I had to ozone it. But the point is that, you know, Karen's setup and my setup with the metal um, is just the way to go. And not having attached insulation to the walls just just lowers your risk. Um, and, you know, I've thought about modular insulation, t- tacking up some foam board for the winter months that, you know, you can just pop right off. There's another very experienced well, – I, I actually – A lot of experienced mold avoiders are doing this. Um, Amanda, Eric Johnson, he has foam board on his aluminum camper that he can just pull down. So it seems to be that the real way to to win this battle is metal housing uh, with removable, easily uh, inspectable insulation or no insulation. And I'm kind of excited about this because I've just been fighting the battle of trying to have non moldy housing for so long. Now I've just kind of given up. And um, I think, you know, here we are again, it's another winter, it's going to be freezing soon and we have nowhere to live. And I think we're going to have to go uh, down to, you know, where it's warm again for the winter in our RV. But this time we have a plan Um, when, when we come back next summer, when we get going again, um, we are going to have metal buildings like Karen. And this is going to be, uh, Karen, we're going to talk again. (laughs) If you don't mind. (laughs) I'm going to be no, just fine. Yeah, I I should also (laughs) point out that uh, another factor that seems like successful mold avoiders are using is a wood burning stove. Um, Eric Johnson uses that. Karen uses that. The wood burning stove seems to offer a very dry heat that keeps condensation from building up, and it it just seems to be working well for people. the, The dry heat.
1: And, and when you have an uninsulated building, it's it's really the most cost-effective also.
0: Cost-effective, isn't uh, it?
1: Yeah. Uh, just, uh, you know, I have a little dish electric heater that I, I might use it for 15 minutes while I'm getting dressed because I'm coming into the studio and I don't want to start a fire in the, the living space if I'm just going to be leaving. So... But just running that a little electric heater fifteen minutes runs a bill up astronomically. It's just uh, the the wood is the way to go if you don't have insulation. It it really work it, it it and it'll really get the room nice and toasty also.
0: Yeah, and the other advantage is you you can be self sustaining off the grid if your power goes out or you don't even have power. You know you can still stay warm. Um, well, that's.
1: That's why I put, actually, that's originally why I put in a wood-burning stove, because we had one year, uh, quite a while back, where we, everybody refers to it as the big freeze. It went below 20 below for three days. Mm. I, thought, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> mm. And there was no electricity. They had rolling blackouts because everybody was using so much electricity trying to stay warm. Wow. And I really thought I I might die from the cold. That's how cold it was. And uh, my, I had two dogs, and I was calling them to come in so I could stuff them in the sleeping bag with me. <laughs> and they wow. came in and they they had killed a couple of rabbits and they were covered with blood. <laughs> wow. So I could and I couldn't even wash them off because we had no water. Everything was frozen.
0: Wow, and you so, survived. Oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, that's that's what made me put in wood burning stove because I realized I I didn't want to die when the electricity was wasn't on.
0: Yeah, then, you know I talked to another mold avoider and we talked about how we can always have a vehicle uh, as a as an emergency backup. You know, if if it gets too cold and you have a vehicle that's full of gas, um, you can always get in your vehicle and turn the heat on. It's not a pretty option or i mean you can drive to a walmart i mean there's ways in emergencies that you can survive but um i i just think that you know what's fascinating to me about what karen has done is that she has found a way to live alternatively and 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 defeat mold i mean it sounds like you basically won the battle against mold illness to me
1: well i yeah i haven't Besides that, except for the cable, you know, the direct TV guy contaminating things, I haven't had any problems in years. Uh, you know, I work full time, uh, you know, I'm pretty fine. Yeah, so here's, nope, the person,
0: nope. here's the person who says they haven't had any mold problems in years. You know, how many else of us can say that? I cannot say that, you know. So I think... um. I think I want to end this, Karen, because this is a new recording software and I want to just make sure it all works, but I would love to talk to you again and we can go into more detail about um, your houses and everything. I I just am completely fascinated by what you're doing. Great. Thanks again. So, everybody, this is Karen. Um, uh, She is a member of our um, uh, Facebook group, Practical Mold Avoidance. So, if you guys have any questions for her, you can post them there and... Uh, Karen, thank you very much for sticking around and being willing to share your time and your wisdom with those of us that are still sort of in, in the struggle. Okay, good luck. All right, thanks. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.